Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this time by Tuparev Technologies. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hack, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, Jason. We're back on mm-hmm. the Fortnite. Mm-hmm. One of these days, I'm telling you, one of these days we're going to go see like a rocket launch or something. I, I'm all for it. Lift off live special. Yeah, you just hear us and hear that's yeah. the rocket taking off. Right. Oh, well, I was thinking we wouldn't do it during the launch. That would be <sighs> Why not? interesting. We could. We could. And so it's just like four minutes in, there's a launch and everybody goes, woo, and then we continue with the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, okay, next item of a pre-flight checklist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Florida's a long way for me to go, but I have done that. Um, it's coming up 10 years, by the way. Ten years since the last flight of the space shuttle, I which I was at the launch, um, and that's in July. So yeah. very soon we're going to get to that last uh, the marking ten years since the shuttle program shut down. I saw a tweet today that uh, today June first is the tenth anniversary of the last Endeavor flight. So we're we're right at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking of twenty eleven. It just uh, I was just I was just there, and now it's actually just a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm I'm up for another launch. That was good. I'll, I'll see another. <laughs> Works for me. All right. Should we dive into our uh, pre-flight checklist before we launch this thing? Before we light this candle? Let's do it. Mars. What's going on on Mars? Uh, there's stuff. That's what. There is. There's stuff. The Jurong lander, or Jurong rover, I guess, uh, rolled down off its ramp. It's yeah. A little ramp. It's kind of cute, little ramp like uh, Mars this way, and uh, <laughs> it rolled down and is now on the surface of Mars for a, uh, that was May 22nd that it did that. It's got a, a planned mission of 90 days. I don't know whether China, when it says 90 days, if it means 90 days or if it's like uh, the NASA rovers where they say 90 days and they mean four years. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, but they say 90 days. It's uh, what's on the Zhurong uh, rover. Uh, there are a bunch of cameras. Uh, there's some ground penetrating radar, which is fun. There's a weather station, a magnetometer, and a spectrometer. And they're going to do all sorts of Mars science in the same vein as the as the other Mars rovers in order to just gather more information about what the heck is going on uh, and went on in the past on Mars. Um, they're at Utopia Planitia, which is actually where I think the Viking landed, and it's uh, was you know presumably at some point during a wetter period in Mars history underwater. So it's an interesting place to go and look and do some geology. And uh, for the record, there are four missions currently active on Mars. Uh, in addition to Zhurong, there is the InSight lander and then the Perseverance and Curiosity rovers, of course, that are still rolling around as well. And that, that doesn't even count like any helicopters. I didn't include them because it's really part of Perseverance, if you if you ask me. And they're not always on Mars. Sometimes, sometimes it's flying above Mars. Sometimes helicopters are not on Mars. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You just blew my mind. Just above. Anyway, it. so uh, it's it's off, and we'll I'm sure hear more about the Jurong as uh, as it roves around Utopia Planitia. I have some hashtag space drama for you. I saw this this morning. You were you were relaying the space drama, um, which got even more dramatic. Uh, who would have thought that the astronomy picture of the day, the most <laughs> comforting sleepy and and really old part of uh, the space internet mm-hmm. would be the source of space drama but it happened yeah i mean if it it has been around i don't even know how long 
a really long time. The archives on their website go back to 2015, but I'm sure it's longer than that. Oh, since 1995. There we go. Yeah. Long oh, time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just one long page, and it's just HTML. I love it. Oh, no, it hasn't <laughs> changed in all that time. It yeah. is the same thing that it was back then. Um, I love it. I used to go, it was it used to be on, like, my page of links and my homepage that I had of, oh, you nice. know, in those early days of the web. Like, it was a, it was a great... A great find, and it's still kicking. If you if you don't go to Apod, you you should everybody because it's fun. But uh, there's a but, Twitter account. I think they have an Instagram account as well, so you can you can get it a bunch of different ways. I gu- yeah, I guess you could use Twitter or Instagram, or you could go to apod.nasa.gov and just see the page that was built in 1995 and hasn't been updated since then. <laughs> it's old school. It is. So there, this picture is of Orion, and it has light streaks across the image. And where the drama comes in is that the original tweet, which is done by Robot, titled the photo Starlink over Orion. Starlink, of course, being SpaceX's ever-growing collection of internet satellites. And there's been a lot of discussion and angst around the reflectivity of those and getting in the way of Earth-based observatories. Because they... uh, they light up the sky when they go through them. And APOD then went and actually clarified the explanation of the photo, saying that uh, this is actually this actual image is from some satellites in high geosynchronous orbit from December 2019. That this image doesn't have Starlink satellites in it, but it's a good opportunity to talk about and reflect on the issues that Starlink and others, uh, the concern that they raise among astronomers. And so you have people who are big SpaceX people, you know, saying that this was drumming up complaints about uh, Starlink on purpose. And I don't think that's what they meant, but it's been very dramatic on uh, certain parts of the internet today about this. Yeah. I, I, I'm, are we surprised that no, that people who like SpaceX might be uh, offended by anything that might possibly besmirch SpaceX. I'm not. I'm not. This is well, you. You and I uh, do a bunch of stuff about Apple, and uh, you know, so we know how this is. Which is, there are companies that have fans, and some fans will not brook any <laughs> even remote suggestion of anything negative about the company that they're a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Elon Musk's companies collect those people. Probably the same people, but maybe they're different. Who knows? Anyway, yeah, it's also a known goal, though. Like, you should have satellites. Making the point about satellites in general, you probably didn't need to uh, call it Starlink, especially since it wasn't. Oops. Like, don't do not do that. Yeah, that that's the error on the part of uh, the editor of uh, APOD. But, it, you know, it is what it is. It's an opportunity to discuss this. I don't think it's a opportunity to burn or NASA burning one of its partners necessarily. Uh, there's a lot of comments about it. Well, it's easy to filter it out and stuff. Like that's true for some types of observations, but not others. Again, it's an opportunity to discuss the issue. It's not a, it's not a, a reason to burn somebody at the stake. Well, yeah, I I'm, I just checked and it's not. Oh, good. You're right. Oh, good. Yeah, but it's the internet, so everything's cranked to eleven. What is Sweden doing? I saw this. I had not seen this New York Times article, but I. I think it's awesome. What's going on? Stephen, what is is Sweden not doing is the real question. What aren't they doing? 
They're doing everything. Sweden is doing everything. Now, so, okay, this is a fun story in the New York Times about Sweden rehapping an old European Space Agency site in the far north of Sweden and using it as a launch site for satellites going into polar orbits. It's actually, you know, just as doing uh, polar orbits is a different thing than kind of regular orbits. Um, and there's a lot of good things about having a satellite in a polar orbit because you can uh, cover like every inch of ground of the Earth over a short period of time because the Earth rotates under your satellite. It's great. Um, continental Europe in general has just not been good at launching things into space from continental Europe. I mean, geographically speaking, like it's tough. European Space Agency has a very busy launch site in French Guiana, but that is in South America, people. That is on the northern coast of South South America. It is not in Europe. It is, uh, and you know, every time they launch something, I'm reminded that France still has a vestige of colonial France in South America. It's, hmm, interesting. Uh, it, it's I think the only one. I think there are islands, but like this is like fr- literally French territory in in South America. Um, in any event. Leaving South America aside, this site uh, that we're talking about is in Karuna, Sweden. This is the northernmost city in Sweden. It's got about 17,000 people who live there. Um, but in terms of around the uh, launch site, which is outside of town, uh, basically, if there's a fa- fallout from a failed launch, you're just going to hit you know, trees and maybe you'll disturb some reindeer. But that's about it. There's, it, it is extreme northern Sweden. Um, Karuna is an old mining town. In fact, fun. here's a fun fact. They're slowly going to move the entire town about three kilometers to the east because the mine, all the tunnels under the earth have caused the uh, the entire um, town to sink. Not what you want. No, it's not great. It's not great. Uh, other European countries are also wor- working on launch sites. Um, uh, Portugal, the UK, Norway. Uh, Sweden seems to be the furthest along. Um Obviously, one of the advantages of this site is that the further away from the equator you are, the easier it is to launch to a polar orbit. So you can save energy by launching from something uh, like this site in Sweden versus, right. say, from Vandenberg in California, <laughs> mm-hmm. where you're you're you know more you know further south, not like right by the equator, but further south than northern Sweden above the Arctic Circle for sure. Um, and then I just didn't know all the stuff at the 17,000-person town, Kiruna, the northernmost city in Sweden. But not only that, the Swedish Institute of Space Physics is there. There is a space high school that's like the magnet school for gifted uh, uh, teenagers in, in, in northern Sweden, I guess. Uh, there's a university there. They've got a space engineering program. So basically, Kiruna is space central for Sweden. And if you like, if you're living in... Uh, warmer climate of of Sweden, like you're down by like Malmo or something like that, where you're like right over by uh by uh Denmark, uh, and you really are into space. They're like off to the Arctic Circle with you. That's right. <laughs> um, and also if you're there in the winter, and why would you be? Oh my God, they have an ice hotel, so they have one of those things where they build a hotel out of ice, and you can stay in the ice rooms and stuff. Which I mean, you got to uh, you got to do something with it. And you can see the northern lights and all of that stuff. I would probably prefer to go there in the in the summer myself. Me I too. Think. Yeah, I like yeah, one of these pictures. Sure. Just a reindeer walking through the space center. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> they don't care. So anyway, uh, maybe we'll get some interesting satellite launches from northern Sweden. That would be fun. And that's that's what's going on in Sweden. I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. The International Space Station is 
going to be busy. We've been talking about this with commercial crew and everything else going on. But space tourism and space entertainment are up and coming. We've talked about some of this that's happening in the U.S. Uh, We talked about Tom Cruise supposedly working on uh, a project with Axiom Space and SpaceX and NASA to shoot a film on the station. Uh, But there's some other stuff going on. What else is going on? Yeah, well, so yeah, space tourism we talked about, and there's going to be a lot of that probably coming soon. But uh, space entertainment, I think, is a little different category. And there's a, a, like three things going on here to keep your, your eye on. Um, the first is that Russia is apparently uh, sending on a Soyuz to the ISS an actress and a director um, where they're going to shoot footage for a film that they're making. Um, I think it's about like an injured astronaut, and they send uh, a doctor um to care for the injured astronaut or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but that's that's the premise here. It's also like, wouldn't it be cool to shoot a movie on the International Space Station? That's kind of, I think, the real premise. Um, so, But this actually has effects on, on astronauts and cosmonauts because uh, two ISS crew members, Mark Vandehei, the American, and uh, Pyotr Dubrov from the Russian Space Agency, they came up to the ISS on MS-18, the Soyuz capsule, um, but what's going to happen is the actress and director are going to launch on MS-19, the next Soyuz capsule. They're going to dock, stay a week, shoot their footage, and then they'll do the MS-18 return mission with the MS-18 commander, Oleg Novitsky. And uh, so Dubrov and Vandehei will have to wait around. Uh, they, basically, their mission is extended at the ISS. I'm sure they don't mind, but it will be a longer mission than it might have been otherwise because they will then ride back on MS-19. So they get an extra Soyuz cycle out of this because that's how you get people up to the station for a week, right? Is they go up and then they come back down. And um, so if you're shuttling people on and off the ISS, you can't use those seats because they'll need to take the seat immediately back down. So uh, interesting thing that is just an effect of this uh, shooting uh, a movie at the ISS. Also, uh, on the reality TV side, the Discovery Channel has announced that they're doing a show called Who Wants to Be an Astronaut, which culminates in a SpaceX capsule that will be going to the ISS. It's unclear. I think this is going to be an Axiom flight, one of the commercial Axiom flights. Um, and Axiom Space has has basically bought uh, Crew Dragon missions, uh, and they want to go to the ISS, obviously, again, for a short period of time, like a week, but uh, there are only, as we've detailed here before, there are only a couple of places to dock with the international docking adapter, and you've got Crew Dragon and Cargo Dragon, and you've also potentially got uh, Boeing going there. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to time it where there's room for a spacecraft to dock for a week and then leave. Uh, But those are going to happen, um, almost certainly, and Axiom is uh, planning a couple of missions, and I've got a little more about Axiom's second mission in a bit, but Discovery Channel is definitely one of the one of the uh, planned participants here, and the idea is, yeah, you win a game show, and you get to go to the ISS for a week. And then, so that's two, and then the third one is what you uh, mentioned, which is Tom Cruise. We don't actually know what's up with that. Tom, there was a story about how Tom Cruise was planning a movie that would include scenes shot in, in a, a capsule and at the ISS, um, and Jim Bridenstine was NASA administrator at the time, and he he said basically, 
welcome my buddy Tom Cruise. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess this is a real thing. <laughs> but we still don't know. There's no no more detail about that. There have been a bunch of rumors about it. Uh, like Doug Lyman is apparently the director that he's working with on this and that they would go together and they would shoot this stuff. And I think they would probably shoot in the capsule as well as at the ISS, right? And that you just get a whole bunch of real space stuff. And then the buzz of the movie is like, oh, and there's scenes shot in space. My guess is that there would be scenes shot in space and also some scenes not shot in space that they use to look like space because there's only so much they're going to be able to do. Um, but still, pretty cool idea. Um, and this would probably be with Axiom again, but SpaceX and NASA clearly would have to be involved. Anything where you've got people on the ISS, uh, there needs to be kind of approval process. Uh, and we'll see what happens with that. But we may end up with a couple of movies and a reality show that have uh, uh, ISS as a component and uh, the Discovery Channel thing, the idea is, you know, it's a it's a, a reality show that culminates in a live launch mm-hmm. of the winner into space. And then um, from there, uh, presumably they would have us, you know, a bunch of specials about their experience in space, which would be that actually could be a lot of fun. So that's what's going on with uh, Space's Entertainment. Um, so you ready for your your close up, Stephen? You do a <laughs> do a space movie, or or or, or do you want to be on Who Wants to Be an Astronaut? I, no, I, no, I don't, I don't. But it's good news for our member specials where we often talk about space movies. So oh yeah, we're good for years to go. Yeah, and I guess this would be a good opportunity to say that we we uh, just to remind you, members, you can go listen to our uh, episode about. Uh, cast Castaway is that what it's called? Stowaway. Stowaway. Castaway is where Tom Hanks talks to a volleyball. Stowaway. Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that if it was in space. That's not what that this movie is. Stowaway. Space, no one can hear you volleyball. Stowaway, and uh, that that's a movie that you can you can watch on Netflix. And then we talked about it. The, so I won a little sidebar, a little footnote about okay. this, which came up while I was reading about the Axiom missions, and it's something that's just fun, and we should mention it. And this maybe will factor into our uh, astronaut draft whenever we finally do that. They're, they've named a commander for the crew of Axiom 2, the second commercial flight um, that might have the Discovery Channel winner on it. It is Peggy Whitson who is 61 years old and a retired NASA astronaut and the person who holds the record for the most time in space by any NASA astronaut across three different ISS missions. She has spent 665 days in space. One mission that was a uh, shuttle up and shuttle down and two that were Soyuz capsule missions. Um, and it seemed like when, you know, when she retired and left NASA, that's it. You don't go back into space, but she started working with Axiom and it sounds like she is going to be the one sort of like crew member who runs the operation for the civilians, even though she's a civilian now too, but you know what I mean, the passengers right. on uh, Axiom 2. She's the backup commander for Axiom 1, which also has a, a former astronaut as the person running the show, because that seems to be there. You know, they don't want to... Somebody should be in charge who's been properly trained in all astronaut things. That's really cool. Let's take a break, and then we're going to get into some updates about the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's tell you before we do about our sponsor. It's Tuparev Technologies, and uh, they want me to talk about space junk. So let's do it. Space junk. What is it? It's any uncontrollable piece of a satellite or rocket debris left by humans in space. Currently, there are a few thousand dead satellites and over 25,000 fragments larger than 10 inches in Earth orbit. The number of smaller fragments is unknown, but has been estimated into the millions. Most of them are not traceable 
On astronomical images, space junk fragments are detectable by faint traces. The team at Tuparev Technologies are developing a new family of modern image precession tools. Uh, a few months ago, they were asked if their new software would be able to calculate the orbital element of such a space junk fragment within a second or two so that a ground-based telescope could be directed to obtain follow-up images in order to calculate the exact orbit of those fragments. This is important because you want to avoid future collisions with satellites, rockets, or even the International Space Station. So the team at Tuparev ran some uh, successful tests and initial measurements, which showed that their software is about a magnitude faster than the currently available astronomy packages. Pretty cool. So they want to help other developers writing astronomy image processing kits too. The team has started a new portal describing the FITS image format, which is de facto standard in astronomy, and different image processing and image pipeline techniques. New content will be added each week that help others to write modern astronomy software. Find out more about FITS Guide at FITS.Guide. That's it. F-I-T-S dot guide. And that's also where you can join the Star Cluster initiative and subscribe to the Star Cluster newsletter. Once again, that's fits.guide to learn more about Fitz Guide and join the Star Cluster initiative and sign up to the newsletter. Thank you to Tuparev Technologies for spotting space junk and supporting Liftoff and all of Relay FM. We are getting towards the end of the road for the development of the James Webb Space Telescope that is very famously way over budget and way over schedule by billions and billions of dollars and years and years. But yeah. close to the finish line. So I thought it'd be a good time to check in because it's getting ready to kind of go quiet for a little while before the launch later this year. Uh, in May, uh, NASA's JWST teams went th- uh, through the beginnings of the final testing for the satellite. So the, uh, this infrared telescope has to fit in the top of a rocket, but it needs to unfold like a flower once it's out in space. And that is a very complex and turns out expensive thing to do. And they have tested a couple of times the uh, the unfolding process to make sure that that's all smooth. It has this, uh, the, the material for the solar shield and for the telescope itself, none of that can be torn or damaged during this. So it's a very fragile operation. And uh, that testing of the the big 6.5 uh, meter mirror where it expands and locks itself into place that uh, that all has gone well so that's gotten its final check mark of approval before launch which is fantastic uh, now engineers uh, are moving on to the few final tests so they have two radiator assemblies that help keep the observatory cool so that deal with the james webb is, is it has a hot side and a cold side right and you have to keep the uh, the cold side facing out because it's an infrared telescope. And the one reason it is where it is at Lagrange Point 2, which is out past the moon, it trails us in our orbit around the sun uh, with this giant sun shield, is to keep that side of the spacecraft cool, to keep the heat all on one side. These radiator assemblies help with that. The uh, multi-layered uh, thermal protection also helps with that, these big like solar blankets that unfold. So they're going to test extending those and extending the big tower on the telescope. And once all that's done, it's going to be put in a shipping container and sailed over to uh, or down to South America, where you mentioned just a second ago, right, that Europe doesn't have 
launch places in Europe because you can't launch overpopulated areas and you've got to be in certain parts of the world to get certain parts of uh, low Earth orbit and beyond. They're not really saying when or where it will be shipped, like the route, because they don't want it to be uh, bothered by pirates. <laughs> See the article I read? Like, looking out yeah, for... Just nagged, bugged. Yeah. Uh, heckled, maybe? You don't want to be heckled. Get out of here, pirates. Yeah. Beat it, pirates. Beat it. Get out of here. Uh, so that's all... Um, the, the details around that are all uh, private, but at some point it will end up uh, ready to go. And that starts a, a series of events to prepare it for launch. And so there's 55 days of work between it arriving and it being, uh, being launched. And a lot of that has to do with getting it into the, uh, into the fairing the rocket, last-minute tests, uh, that sort of thing. thing. Things you would imagine. You can't just roll up and launch the next day. It takes a little while to get there. Um, NASA expects to have the telescope ready to ship by the end of July. So if you count forward in your calendar, that really pushes this launch past the, the initial... Well, not initial date... That was like 10 years ago. But the most recent date of October 31st, that was the date that was set last year for launch. Uh, It's going to be November, maybe even possibly early December, depending on how all of that goes. Because there's also an issue uh, with the the booster itself. So using the Ariane 5, and it has been grounded for almost nine months. There's an issue with the payload fairings, but... That has been addressed. There's actually two launches of the new fairing design scheduled before the James Webb. So hopefully that won't be an issue here. But it's all very James Webb that here at the last minute there are still uh, things to be dealt with and and possible uh, extensions on the schedule. It feels like we're really in the end game where like this is this is everything is happening as it would if this was really going to happen. So um, this is pretty great. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hope for no pirates and nobody bump, nobody bump it. Yeah. Very gentle seas. <laughs> Easy now. Everybody be careful. Nobody sneeze around it. Just be careful. We just got to get this thing onto the rocket and off of the planet, <laughs> please. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the timeline after launch. Within the first four weeks, it will undergo the unfolding of itself again that they've been testing the thing that makes this telescope so complex and expensive to build at and that's at lagrange point two which i mentioned a second ago is beyond the moon it trails us in orbit around the sun so it's a stable position uh thanks to uh gravitational and orbital science and math and engineering that people have done you just put something under the Grange point and it basically just stays with you the whole time. It's great. Within two to three months, the instruments will be powered on. That will start a series of testing to make sure everything is, is good. And as long as it is, they expect to be making observations six months after launch. And so if this launches November, December of 21, sometime about a year from now, we'll be uh, seeing initial image, uh, initial data from James Webb. That that's pretty cool. It is very exciting to be here in the end game, like you said. Yeah, I'm excited by it. It's uh, 
this is this is great. Like the the I read this thing we didn't put in pre flight checklist about how there's going to be a uh, a Hubble style uh, telescope module for the Chinese space station that's being built, which is great. Again, more space telescopes is better. There are very few, and they're great. And more is better. But um, James Webb Space Telescope, like this is the one. <laughs> this is big. This is going to make observations that are going to teach us things that we don't know about the universe, right? It's like yeah. the anticipation is enormous. So, and it's been so long. So, uh, here's hoping. Yeah, fingers crossed for the, for that. Uh, lastly, I want to talk about your favorite topic. That's NASA's budget. I sent this to you, and you sent me a sleepy emoji back. So, yeah, I know you're yep. into it. Mm, it's it's super important. Uh, although we should say this is the uh, budget as requested by the administration. Yes, and. It doesn't matter who, what party is in the White House. It doesn't matter what party is controlling Congress. Um, the presidential recommendation for budget is, you know, interesting, <laughs> but tends not to be what actually the right. funding ends up being. And it doesn't matter if it's the same parties or different parties. It really, seriously, Congress has its own ideas of what it wants to fund, including, uh, and maybe especially when it comes to NASA. Yeah, we've seen a lot of examples of that. You know, we've seen during the the Trump years, Congress not being willing for the administration to stop funding STEAM and education and earth sciences. Uh, that a lot of that got cuts, but Congress was unwilling to go as far as the White House wanted. Uh, it's also how you get uh, things like the Europa Clipper, and if you have a congressman. With a pet project, very often they just stay around in the budget because someone on that committee wants it to happen. Yep. So this this request is for 2022. Uh, it seeks $24.8 billion for NASA, which is a 7% increase over fiscal 2021. Obviously, this is not a full breakdown, but I just wanted to highlight some things because I do think it's interesting to see what the administration wants to fund within NASA. And again... We'll see how this goes in Congress, uh, but um, at $10.8 billion, you have human exploration and operations. That's about a 4% increase. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the human landing system, which, if you remember from last episode, is tied up because NASA just awarded SpaceX, and Congress wants two competitors to be in that game, but NASA only had funding for one, which comes from Congress, and now the GAO is involved. So human landing system, big question mark in the future about what actually happens there. But this also funds Gateway, Orion, and of course, our friend, the SLS, including uh, building the exploration upper stage for the Block 1B. So the SLS is designed to be modular and get more powerful over time. The exploration upper stage was just put on hold earlier this year because uh, budgetary reasons and uh, basically we can do what we need to do immediately without it. And so we're in a focus on Artemis in 2024, the EUS got put aside. And now this request from the White House at least puts it back in action. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens with that. The SLS is not going away (laughs) under Joe Biden's uh, administration. Space technology is $1.4 billion. It's a 30% increase. This is the biggest uh, single increase as far as large categories. Uh, 
this funds technology development for some projects I was not familiar with. So I'm actually putting them in the show notes because they're fascinating. Uh, one is deep space orbital communications. This is using lasers to communicate between the spacecraft and ground. Uh, it can be much faster. It's point to point. They got to work out signal to noise stuff through the atmosphere. But a proof of concept of this is supposed to launch in 2022. And so there's $502 million set aside for it and a couple other things to get across the finish line. Lasers, Jason. Can you do a laser sound? I bet you could probably do a pretty good laser sound. It's good. It's like I'm on another podcast. Those are those are like space lasers. Space lasers. Extra. Yeah. It's good. No, I like it. There's also one that, man, I thought about you when I read about this. The low Earth orbit flight test of an inflatable decelerator. Loft ID? Loft ID? Loft ID. I mean, it's like face ID? It is, but it, you log in by pointing your phone at your fancy apartment. Hmm. It's the loft. I like lofted because it's like a creature that lives in a loft. The lofted. That's good. Like the lofted monster. It's like a cryptid, except loft. it's a lofted. <laughs> lives in a loft. So we just finished speaking about the James Webb, which has to fold itself like a piece of origami to fit atop a rocket, and that causes issues. It leads to either spacecraft that are a set size or ones that have to unfold and fold. When you think about going to other destinations like Mars or maybe even Venus and Titan, according to this article, you have the issue of slowing down in the atmosphere being very difficult because the atmosphere in these places is very thin. A Venus is thin at the top and then it gets crushingly heavy. But you would ideally have a way to break through the atmosphere with a larger surface. So it can, it can be uh, more aerobraking and less reliant on things like supersonic parachutes. And uh, this program looks at using an inflatable aeroshell to to basically be a heat shield so you can it can launch folded up and then it can inflate and expand way bigger than the spacecraft or the rover or the lander that it's protecting and use more surface to slow down against the atmosphere it's like this is one of those things like saying that's really simple i'm sure in practice it's not but boy what a what a good idea <laughs> We see these people, people come up with these wild ideas and eventually it's like, well, can I get some funding for this? Because we need to actually see if this, if, if this works. Cause there are all sorts of things that start out as outlandish ideas that end up being, um, being good ideas. Like, you know, try to describe how we land on Mars to anybody. Yeah. And sky whether, crane. <laughs> the sky crane, it's like, are, are you kidding me? And it's like, no, that's what we do. We have this whole thing that, that, that sort of has jets and it drops it down on ropes and then leaves. Um, or before that, the one that was like in a big inflatable ball and bounced around. It's like, what? What? It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. but it worked. Uh, so you got to you got to keep testing stuff. Like also things like um, electric propulsion. Um, yeah, solar sails, right? There's all sorts of things that are like theoretically possible, but you, you do need to try them out and see if, if they actually will make sense. So, yeah. um, yeah, bring it on. Inflatable heat shields. Love it. Yeah. I like inflatable things in space, Stephen. Did you know this know. about me? I know. It's your, it's your thing. It's good because it's, it, you know, it's cramped in those rockets, but once you're in space, you literally have unlimited space. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just got to get up there and right. then let it all hang out. So I'm I'm there for it. <laughs> the dream of the uh, expandable module never really dies. There's also in this section of the budget $287 million for small business innovation research and technology transfer. That's a mouthful. But it is to drive investment in small business and spur economic growth. So this is the part, uh, one of the many parts of NASA that is intertwined with all sorts of different congressional districts and businesses. Uh, a while back, we came across a list of vendors for Artemis, and like there's one in every state. One probably in your town, because they're just everywhere. They are everywhere, on purpose. Yeah, it makes it really hard to kill when everyone's backyard is affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, $7.9 for NASA science programs. This is up 9% over 21. Uh, this is funding the development of four missions to launch within the, within the next decade to create the Earth System Observatory. Uh, this is to study the effects of climate change. So really leaning into NASA's responsibility in the Earth sciences, something the previous administration didn't want to have anything to do with. Uh, there's also yep. $175 million to support operations of the James Webb. And then uh, there's $3.2 billion for various missions, including the one that jumped out at me, is uh, the Mars Sample Return Mission, which we've spoken about, the... Uh, the multi-step, multi-faceted plan to get samples back from Mars. Uh, there's $650 million to to keep that running in NASA's budget for 21, if Congress approves it. Yeah, which again, who knows? But given, uh, given that the one party controls... Uh, to a certain extent, of course, there's filibusters and there's a bunch of requests. Although it, it, it's more likely that this will go uh, because the two uh, sides of this are are in alignment. But you never know. There's also uh, in that $3.2 billion money for the Europa Clipper, Lucy, Dragonfly, Psyche, 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 Psyche. So a bunch Psyche of... Psyche is a, is a USA Network TV show. Oh, yeah. I rewatched that last year. They solve crimes and kind of psychology and I don't <laughs> pineapples. know pineapples. But there's a psyche, like uh, you know, an asteroid. I think, but yeah, you know, it's 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 all good. Like money, money for space. We like it. Nine hundred fifteen million for aeronautics research, basically making airplanes better, safer, yes, more efficient. The aeronautics portion <laughs> of NASA, which when I went uh, the last time I was down at uh, Ames, that was one of the things that they were talking about is they're doing their um, drone. Uh, flight plan like instant computerized flight plan for drones um and that all is under the aeronautics charter which is how do we make airspace and airplanes safer and and that is actually part of what nasa does this uh this budget request seems to have been uh greeted warmly uh by bill nelson so uh in a press release uh he said you know it's the largest budget request for nasa science ever the Biden administration is proving that science is back uh, this will help NASA address the climate crisis and advance robotic missions to pave the way for humans to explore the moon and Mars. Bill Nelson's a politician. He's friends with Joe Biden. I yep. expect as this budget moves forward that he'll be involved, just like we saw Brian Stein be involved uh, yeah. during his years uh, running NASA as well. 
he, he's going to be shaking people's hands and talking yep. to all his friends about how this is they should fund the budget just like they've asked. That's right. And and then we'll see what happens, right? Like mm-hmm. it could be very easily that this is one of those things where they're like, no, no, we're going to put in money for uh, for Blue Origin and uh, you know who knows what else. And that's just that's what happens. That's the the give and take. But that's why having a former senator as the NASA administrator is a thing that is happening right now, right? And, and a former uh, member of the legislature, the last two administrators now, because the truth is, this is part of it. The politics is part of it. We talked about it a lot, but like, that's the truth of it is Bill Nelson is going to be there and his job is essentially to convince Congress to get as much of their proposal for NASA through as possible. Tomorrow, June 2nd, is State of NASA. Uh, so there'll be a link in the show notes to where it'll be streamed on YouTube. I expect we'll hear much more about this from Bill Nelson. Uh, there's no mistake that this happens right after the budget uh, goes out. So I expect that we will hear more about this and NASA's programs tomorrow. That is at, I want to say, 3 p.m. Eastern, I believe. So, But there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, that is always something uh, we pay attention to and watch. Uh, and we've been to... Uh, We've been to one. We've been to a stay of NASA. I saw uh, Jim Bernstein in person. You were in California at one of the other sites. And mm-hmm. it's always uh, always interesting to hear, especially when there's a new administrator, what their vision is. I think this will be the first time we really see where Bill Nelson thinks the, that the agency needs to go. So I'm definitely going to be tuning in. Yeah. Um, it's... Again, you're hearing their case that they're making to Congress, essentially, to fund what they're doing. That's yep. that's what it is. And as long as you keep that in mind, um, then you'll understand what the heck is going on there. If you want to find uh, links to the stuff we spoke about, they're on the web over at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 151. There you can send us an email with feedback or follow-up. Or you can check out uh, another show on Relay FM, and that is our friends over at Make Do. Make Do is a podcast about taking uh, your hobby and making it, pushing it to the next level. Whether you want to monetize it or not, Make Do is ready to be your cheerleader. So check it out. Host uh, Tiff and Julia over at relay.fm slash make do. Yeah. I'd like to thank Tupperf Technologies for sponsoring mm-hmm. this episode of Liftoff. And thank you to our members for supporting us. Space junk. Watch out. I ducked. You couldn't hear it, but I ducked. Good. Uh, Until our next Fortnite, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all.